Okay, today we are going to continue to look at the uh, interval visions between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. And so we'll be looking at, and it's actually um, two visions. The first one is in chapter 10, and then the second interval vision is in chapter 11, verses 1 through 14. However, the second interval vision consists of two parts. And so today we'll look at the first part. And I was tempted to run them together because the first part is only verses 1 and 2. But it's a two-fold vision. It's a singular vision that consists in two parts. And together they make up the two interval visions between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. The first part of um, the second vision consists in verses one and two, as we mentioned. And in this vision, John is commanded to measure the temple. The second part, which is verses three through 13, in this, John hears a narrative. And it's, so the emphasis of that vision is not so much what he sees, but rather what he hears. And what he hears is a narrative about two witnesses. So let's begin with the first part of uh, the second, this second vision, which is verses 1 and 2 of chapter 11. So I'll read those verses. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the, the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Now I want to begin with a quote from Dennis Johnson uh, concerning uh, those first two verses. Uh, as John's consummation of the, uh, consum consumption, I'm sorry, of the scroll, in chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, imitates Ezekiel's prophetic call, where he also was told to, to consume a scroll. Likewise, the instruction to measure the temple, the temple of God, echoes the measuring of the temple uh, by Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter uh, 40 through 48, or the measuring of the temple that Ezekiel sees in chapters 40 through 48 of his prophecy. Now, one of the differences is that in the Ezekiel 40 through 48 prophecy, Ezekiel sees an angel doing the measuring rather than him measuring himself. Whereas here in, in uh, verse 1, John is the one that's given the measuring rod, and he is told to do the measuring. So even though there, there are points of similarity and uh, things that are similar, uh, the first thing to note that there is an intentional parallel between the prophetic functioning and call of Ezekiel and that of John in this instance. And it's for this reason that John, uh, much of the same imagery that we see in Ezekiel is given over in John. And even as we pointed out, not only Ezekiel, but uh, Daniel in particular. A lot of prophetic imagery in the book of Revelation, but there are specific imagery 
that corresponds to certain aspects of the Old Testament prophets, particularly the language of the Son of Man, which we see in, Ezekiel, in Revelation 1 and then also in Daniel, but also especially for Ezekiel's commissioning, because Ezekiel is told, as we saw last week, that he is to go to a people that are hard-hearted and hard-headed, and whether they hear or whether they don't hear, let them know that a prophet has been here. Furthermore, Ezekiel was to consume the word, which was initially bitter, but then it became sweet. So in the same way, John is given the command to consume the scroll that is the word of God. Take it into your being before you pronounce it to the people that God has commissioned you to. And in the same manner, using similar imagery and similar uh, symbols, what Ezekiel sees, and this is after, this is prophesying concerning the period after the exile and after the overthrow of national Israel, that Ezekiel sees through this series of chapters in 40 through 48, he sees the measuring and it's, he's given all of the dimensions of the temple and he sees it being measured, an angel measuring the temple of the Lord. And in a very similar way, what John sees during this period of, of travail, that John sees uh, a vision where he is now given the measuring rod. And he also, unlike Ezekiel, where Ezekiel sees an angel measuring, John takes the measuring rod and he's told to do the measuring. The second thing to note about this, and there's another, and here's another distinction. Whereas what is measured in Ezekiel is all of the architecture and the space in the temple. In John, or in Revelation, John is told to measure the temple of God, the altar, and the people who worship there. So it's not everything in relation to the physical structure of the temple but he is to worship or, or to measure the temple of God the altar and the people who worship there the third thing to note and this is uh, we see it in verse 2 John is told to not measure the outside court of the temple and that's significant and we'll see that in a moment, um, all the, the implications of, of that um, prohibition. But Ezekiel is, sees the entirety of the temple being measured and is given all of the dimensions. And probably in, in later in the book of Revelation, we'll see something that corresponds even more closely to what uh, the dimensions of, of the temple as uh, that, that corresponds to what Ezekiel saw. And just as important as what John is told to measure, the, the building or the, the physical space of the temple and the altar and the people, it is also significant of what he is not supposed to measure. Because in the minds of those who worship in and out of the temple, the temple consisted not just of the sanctuary, but it had courts, the outer court, the inner court, 
and everything was part of the temple. So John is given very specific instructions of what to measure as well as what not to measure. And that brings us to the fourth thing. The reason given for John not measuring the court outside of the temple also explains why he is to measure what he does. Here's the, the, the explanation that's given in verse 2. He is told not to measure outside of the court, uh, the court outside of the temple, because it is given over to the nations, and they will, um, uh, and and they will trample over it, the holy city, for forty-two months. So what John sees here is that, or what he's told is that he's not to measure the out, the court outside of the temple because that area is going to be destroyed. Now, that being the case, if that means if the unmeasured part of the temple is um, not to be measured because it corresponds to uh, being attacked and overthrown, then conversely, that which is measured corresponds to being protected and what is being preserved. So it's, it's sort of a sealing. It's, it, it corresponds really to the sealing of the 144,000. And we know that they aren't the only ones that are, are uh, sealed. It's not to, the, the importance there is not the number because everyone who, is, uh, who professes faith in Christ is sealed with the name of God. So they are presented uh, numerically in a, in a symbolic number, 144,000 indicating the completeness of all of the 12 tribes. Um, so it's, it's not so much the physical name or listing, but the point is their names on uh, the name of, of, of the Savior on them is, is it corresponds to the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And so in the same way, this sealing, this, this, this measuring is a way of protecting. So the reason the outer court is not measured is because the outer court is going to be attacked and overthrown. And that's really where the bulk of what we're going to be talking about uh, is going to be fleshed out. But the outer court is going to be overthrown. It's going to be given over to the nations. So conversely, everything that is measured is protected and it will be preserved. Which brings us to the fifth thing. The court outside of the temple represents the city of Jerusalem. The physical city of Jerusalem. That being the case, it's helpful to understand how first century Jews saw the city of Jerusalem and really the city of Jerusalem and the temple in conjunction with it and one could almost say the temple over the city itself. Because as you know, during the first century, it was under Roman occupation. So they weren't a separate, um, independent geopolitical entity. But they were allowed use of the city, and they still had the temple in it. So the most significant feature of the city 
was the temple. And the presence of the temple gave them the hope and the expectation that the kingdom itself would be returned with all of the glory and with all of the strength and with all of the things that they experienced before the Babylonian overthrow. So the way they saw the city is that the presence of the temple guaranteed the, real, the reconstruction of the geopolitical kingdom before the Babylonian overthrow. So there are three things that we want to look at in relation to this. Number one, in Galatians 4, Paul uses, uh, he speaks allegorically, where he speaks of, um, he speaks of two mountains, two sons, two women, and, um, and, and two Jerusalems in essence. But in Galatians 4, Paul speaks allegorically concerning the city of Jerusalem at present. Now, when Paul wrote Galatians, it's in the first century. So he says the Jerusalem that is present, and he, he basically corresponds, he connects it to Mount, uh, Mount, Mount Sinai in the giving of the law. And so he was saying, in essence, that the Jerusalem at present is antithetical to the eternal spiritual kingdom which is connected to Mount Zion. So even in his thinking, at the time of his ministry, Paul does not see Jerusalem nor the temple and, and the worship connected to Jerusalem disconnected from Christ he did not see it as a, a deposit and a guarantee of the return of geopolitical Israel as it was in the Old Testament. So that's one thing. Paul, in Galatians 4, allegorically presents the Jerusalem of his day as being antithetical to the spiritual kingdom of God, and he contrasts it with the free woman and her son, and Mount Zion, where there is liberty. Instead, he likens the Jerusalem that is at present to the slave, her son, and Mount Sinai with the giving of the law, in which case there is no salvation. The second thing to note concerning this prophecy and the um, non-measuring of the, the, of the courts outside of the temple. In Luke 21, Jesus predicts the destruction of the physical temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. Now let me, I want to read that because he makes a couple statements there that are helpful in understanding some of the tensions during not only his earthly ministry, but during the period of the, the, uh, the first century, the first century church misunderstanding the prophets concerning the kingdom of God. But in, in, um, 20, in chapter 21 of Luke, and we'll pick up in verse 5, he says, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will, 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 uh, will come 
when there will not be left here one stone upon another, and that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when, uh, when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place before the end, um, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes. And in various and uh, and in all in various places, famines and pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. I'll pause there because that some of this connects to what we'll be looking at next week. But the main thing that Jesus is telling them is that the central figure, physical structure in Jerusalem that many thought guaranteed the reestablishment of a geopolitical entity as they had in the glory days of David, connecting all of the prophecies concerning a greater temple and a greater kingdom, they were looking at it in physical terms. Jesus begins with the temple and then predicts the overthrow of the city. And so Jesus is, in chapter 21 of Luke, Jesus prophesies and predicts the destruction of both the physical temple and the overthrow of the city of Jerusalem. Which brings us to the third thing. Therefore, the unmeasured area outside of the temple depicts the overthrow of the physical city of Jerusalem and even the physical temple that occurs in A.D. 70. Now you notice it says 42 months. 42 is 7 times seven you know that's no that's that's seven times six so it's it's which is the year number of completion which is six so seven times or number of man and the number of completion which is seven six times seven forty two it's a symbolic number but the point is that at a given moment that Jerusalem itself and the temple the city will be overthrown and the temple will be destroyed. And so even in verse 2, when John is told not to measure it, he's told not to measure it because it's been given over to that. Which brings us to the sixth and final point. The measuring of the temple does not mean that the physical temple itself will be preserved. The temple, the, because what's, what's being illustrated here is God makes a distinction between, number one, the city of Jerusalem and the physical structure of the building. Now, for this, we need to remember Jesus' words 
prior to his arrest when he says, if you destroy this temple in three days, it will be rebuilt. And the people that were listening to him thought he was talking about the temple, the physical temple. And he says, oh no, that, if, and, and that's part of when, when he weeps over Jerusalem. He says, if you only knew what made for your peace. No, not this thing. He says, this, that, that temple, it will be destroyed. It's going to be torn down and it's not going to be rebuilt. In essence, Jesus is the true temple of God. And it's in him that the people of God are able to worship God the Father in spirit and in truth. So he is the means as well as the object of the true worship of God. Therefore, the measuring of the temple is not speaking of the protection of the physical structure but it is referring to the, 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 the protection of the people of God because of the object of worship. Now, something else we have to mention in conjunction with this is that, remember, we pointed this out last week, that these interval visions are actually part of the second woe. So what we're seeing is simultaneously what has already been seen in chapter 9 concerning the nations and what is taking place outside of the covenant kingdom during the period of this sixth trumpet, the things that are portrayed in the sixth trumpet with false prophecies and people rejecting the gospel. In these interval visions, John is, is being shown simultaneously what will take place with the people of God. And it's with this that we see as a segue into what we'll be looking at next week with the two witnesses. But something that Jesus says in Luke 21, when he warns them, there will be those that will say they are coming in my name. That's false prophecy. So during parallel to the period of false prophecy, the people of God are preserved. And the witness of God is preserved. In the interim, external things are destroyed. And part of what we'll see next week, once we, the, the emphasis here, and that's why I wanted to separate them out, is because in this first part, John is anticipating something that has already happened historically, which is the overthrow of the city of Jerusalem and the destruction of the physical temple in Jerusalem. And that does not lose any of the substance of what he's saying to the churches. Because what he's saying to the churches, in essence, is what is preserved in Christ is protected by him. So therefore, God's people will be able to continue to worship him through Christ until Christ returns in judgment. So as, as false prophecy populates the land, as people become adamant and sometimes even violent in their opposition of the gospel of God or the gospel of grace, the witnesses of God, the people of God, may physically 
suffer persecution, but they are eternally preserved and prepared. And since the physical temple in Jerusalem is not being destroyed, is, is not being um, depicted here as being measured, but it is the same temple of God, the same inner court that is described in chapters 4 and 5 that's also on display, the throne room of God in Revelation chapter 1. The place of the throne of God, which is in the very presence of God, is the most secure place in the universe, so to speak. Therefore, those who are tied to that altar, those who worship that God, are protected and measured. Even if their lives are lost in martyrdom, as the Hebrew boy said, listen, we will not bow down because our God is able to deliver us either from the persecution or through the persecution. But in either way, the place of God's holy residence and the place where he communes with his people is secure because it's measured and sealed. And therefore, what John sees is as all of these other things take place in conjunction with the sixth trumpet, or the, yeah, the sixth trumpet, they are all part of the second wall, but in it and through it, the people of God are preserved. Next week, we'll look at the two witnesses and kind of flesh that out. So we pray that that is helpful. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we come to you in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, thanking you for, again, the comforts that you give us in your word. We pray that we have been clear and careful in the handling of your word, and we trust that you, by your spirit, would give your people the ability to comprehend your grace and your truth, and that we would be not only comforted by it, but emboldened to continue to serve you and, and worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray for this local assembly, that you would be with those who are sick and those who are shut in. We pray for bereaved families throughout our congregation. We know that we have experienced much and we're not able to gather in, a, in our ordinary way of gathering, but you are still faithful in feeding your people. So we trust, Father, that you would continue to strengthen us for your service and for your glory. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.